Hi, welcome to New Hope Community Church Online. The sermon you are about to hear was originally given by Pastor Chuck Wilson. New Hope Community Church, to know, to live, and to share Jesus Christ. And I want to share my story today. A lot of you have never really heard my story. How God drove all of this home in my life. And how I got from Appleton, New York, to a church plant here in New Hope, Pennsylvania. And the title for this is Kicking and Screaming. Thank you, Lori. Uh, kicking and Screaming. Let me start with prayer. Father, we thank you for bringing us together on this hot day. And we thank you for a place to worship. And we thank you for the worship. We thank you for the communion that we're going to be celebrating in a little bit. We just pray your spirit would speak to us now. As we finish up this series on the rock and the sand and whatever you need to finish up in our life, we pray that you would do that in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so I grew up on a farm on West Somerset Road in Appleton, the town of Appleton, the Niagara County, New York. It's the other New York. It's, you know, it's you know, eight hours away from New York City. And uh, on a farm, as most of you know, and Appleton, New York, is just crazy, right? And uh, it was a family farm that was bought in 1835 from the Holland Land Company. It was first uh, non-Native Americans who lived there. They bought it there. It was the Wild West when they, the family bought it. There was lots of Indians still living there. Even when I was growing up, there was a good number of re- reservations still there. And there were, we, there were a lot of places where there were arrowheads. And actually, across the road, one of the farm bought. Oh, did I not did the kids go? Sorry, kids. Kids, make your escape. Little commercial break on my tape. Kids, make an escape. Thank you. Thank you, Dave. You saved their life. I'm getting old. That's how I, I forgot the kids. Forgot the kids. And so uh, the farm, it, across the road, actually, the on the farm next to us, the kids found a cannonball in the field. So there was obviously, it was the Wild West, and there was a lot going on at that area. Uh, I grew up in a Christian home, and our family had a, a, a real deep Christian heritage. In fact, we could trace our family tree, can face our tra- family tree, all the way back to William Bradford on the Mayflower. He's a, my great, great, great something, right? William Bradford, his second wife. He married a, a second wife, and that's how we're related to his second wife. My mom's side, it's Indians and pirates, but that's a whole other story. So. <clears throat> so I went to camp. We grew up on a farm, and there was a camp called Niagara Bible Conference. In a Niagara Bible Conference, the, uh, right on Lake Ontario, we couldn't wait. That was the summer highlight every year because that was right during hay season. We missed a whole week of doing hay. This kind of heat, we are out all day with hay, right? So it was great. We thought this was the best thing ever. And I remember I went for the first time when I was eight years old, and they shared the gospel, and I'd heard it many, many times and prayed, but this one really hit me. And when I was eight, I accepted Christ. They used to call us forward, and I remember going forward. And then when I was nine, I went back to camp, and I went forward. And, and uh, 10 and 11, I kept going forward. Every night, I was, you know how they count the numbers of conversions? I was about 100 of them for that camp. Uh, and because I was, I'd get all nervous and I have doubts, and I'd be like, "Am I? Am I really a Christian? I don't know." And so I would keep going forward. I remember one time I went forward every night crying, you know, going to become a, you know, accept Christ, guys. I was nervous, and they talk about heaven and hell and all that stuff. And I went forward, and I never, I'll never forget. It was a Friday night, and it was the last night, and the speaker actually stepped out in the aisle and said, 
go back to your seat. I go, but I'm not sure. He goes, I am. I've prayed with you four times. I'm not doing it again, you know. And, uh, and, and I went back, and I was scared the whole summer. I was nervous the whole summer because I didn't pray again, right? So uh, those doubts, though, as, as much as it was hard to have doubts, they were very healthy because I started reading the Bible every night, and I really started studying it. As I got older, I really started taking my doubts to the Bible and, and looking for the answers in the Bible and all their godly books and commentaries and, you know, th- biographies, those kind of things. And it was really good. That's what really grew my faith. And we all have a choice to make when we have doubts. Doubts are all over. We all have doubts. They're all over the Bible. You read the Bible, it's about a lot of people with doubts. And we have a choice. We can take our doubts and go to the Word and really dig deep and wrestle and grow our faith. That's what they're meant to do, grow our spiritual muscle. Or we can reject it all. And, and it always breaks my heart when I see people with doubts just throw it all out. Oh, I have doubts, so I'm just going to throw, throw it all out the window. Don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. Those are meant to grow our faith. And so I really grew through my, through my doubts. And I remember when I went to camp when I was 12, they started calling it teen camp at that time. And the speaker gave a challenge, who feels led to go into ministry? And I felt a real pull when I was 12 years old, 6th grade, to go into ministry. I felt that call. And I, they said, who would commit yourself? And I raised my hand and committed myself. And I said, God, I'll, I'll go into ministry, whatever, missions, ministry, whatever you want me to do. And I made that decision. So it was great. So I got to high school. And when I got to high school, all of a sudden, I realized that going into ministry wasn't really cool. Actually, being a Christian wasn't such a cool thing in high school. And uh, I remember saying, God, uh, I, w- I wanted to be more popular with the world than going, being a Christian and going into ministry would, would make me. And so I remember telling God, I remember talking to him and saying, God, I'm still going to be a Christian. I'm good with that, but I don't want to go into ministry missions anymore. I want to do that. So I'm not going to do that anymore. I'm taking that part back, but I'm going to stay a Christian. And God was probably laughing the whole time, right? And I pursued being cool in school. I didn't get crazy, crazy, but I, I, I tried to, I became part of the popular crowd. I hung out with the cool kids and, and was tried, popular. I, I didn't, I quit studying because that wasn't cool. I quit applying myself to academics and I got real involved in sports and did really, really well in sports. And that kind of became my, my vehicle for acceptance and, and being, being cool. I did a lot of sports and did well. But I was still a Christian, but I wasn't a fanatic. I didn't want to be a fanatic. I was one of these, like, undercover Christians, you know, cool. And, and I did. I kept sharing with my friends, my close friends. I would talk to them about God, and I still had this real burden. I would actually share the gospel with them on a regular basis. So a lot of them had become Christians, even some after I graduated. You know, I'd get these letters. Hey, I remember what you told me. I'm a Christian now. You know, those kind of things. So God was, I still had that pull to, to reach people for Christ, but I just didn't want to, uh, you know, be a fanatic. And so I didn't go to youth group. I didn't, I went to church, but I didn't go to youth group. I just kept it real low key. Uh, and, and I, but I would go on youth group retreats still because camp was such a great experience for me. I'd still go on the camp, camps and retreats and I'd take my friends along because that was fun enough and it was safe enough to take them to those things. And this whole, whole time, I still felt a call. I still felt the pull. You ever catch a fish and you have it on the line and it keeps pulling away and you keep reeling it in and it pulls away and you keep reeling it in? I, I was like that fish on God's line. So I go to college. 
I'm getting ready to go to college. My parents really wanted me to go to Christian college because they saw us kind of like on this fence, you know, this tightrope. And so they really encouraged me to go to a Christian college. They found, and I, but I really wanted to do sports, and so they found me a college that had the sports that I did, swimming, soccer, and, and so there aren't many of the Christian colleges they had both. So I picked my college based on they had soccer and swimming. I could do, keep doing my sports. Uh, but I got to this college, this Christian college, and it turned out it wasn't really a Christian college. I mean, it kind of was, but it was really a facade. It was, it was, it was not much of a Christian college. So my parents, the joke was on them. But it, um, it wasn't, but it really bugged me that this place claimed to be Christian. All these kids thought they were kind of Christianish, but they weren't living for Christ. And they didn't, most of them didn't really understand salvation through faith. It was kind of like go to church and follow the rules. And it really bugged me, but God used that frustration to get to me to show me my life. And God used that holy frustration. Some of my professors taught that the Bible was just a myth. The religion professors, I still remember, they said we the book of... Genesis was all borrowed from the Babylonians, and there was no real Jonah, and, and they were telling me all this stuff, and I remember arguing with my professors, yeah, but the Bible says this, and they go, yeah, well, it's wrong, you know, and, and this is a Christianish college, right, and that really got me mad, and I started to, to really wrestle with my faith, and really study it even deeper, and, and, and to, so I could stand up to these professors, and, and I used to argue with them <laughs> in class, and uh, I really studied, and, but during this time, I'm still fighting the call, the pull. So I decided to major in sociology and become a social worker. Now, there's nothing wrong with being a social worker. It's super. We have great Christian social workers, but, but that wasn't what God called me to be. So I was actually running away. And I said, I'm going to still help people, but I just won't be a pastor because that's a little, so crazy. And everybody's going to laugh at me and think I'm a nut, which they've done. And, uh, and so I can still help people without being a fanatic, right? And I was still active in sports in college, and I coached at college, and a lot of close friendships. And the whole time, I was miserable. Miserable. I felt like Jonah. And I remember my senior year, talking to some of my friends and saying, you know what, I'm going to finish this year, but after this, I'm going into ministry. I'm I'm not doing my major. I'm switching. I'm going to go into ministry. I have to. I, I finally surrendered and said I'm going to do it. But my surrender wasn't exactly complete yet because I did an internship. Second part of the year, I left early and went and did an internship in social work, a Christian social work place. Because I was still like, okay, I'm going to do ministry, but maybe this Christian social work thing can work out still. And I did it, went to California to work at this Christian organization camp to help kids. And, and that's where God got my full attention and my final surrender. The Christian organization that I went to wasn't as advertised. First of all, it's California, right? And uh, I can say this because, uh, you know, our Jeff and Erica moved back. <laughs> but I grew up in Mayberry, right? You know, that's where I grew up. So California, oh, oh, sorry, Laura, Laura, too. There's a couple others, right? Laura. But, but I grew up in Mayberry. And to go from Mayberry, you know, Appleton, New York, to California, it was a culture shock, to say the least, right? But on top of that, what I did in California was even a bigger shock because um, my job was, this was advertised as a Christian camping social work ministry that helped troubled kids and they had all these touching stories of all the transformed lives and please send money. I get there and it wasn't really Christian. In fact, one of the first things the guy running it said is, keep your faith to yourself while you're here. 
We don't want the kids to think there's any answers outside themselves to, to, to find healing and uh, to get better. I'm like, <laughs> what is this, right? And I was working with emotionally disturbed delinquents. The best way I can describe it as an emotionally disturbed delinquent is anybody who can't handle anything else. School, they've been kicked out of every other conceivable program. They ended up here. And I think Dave can relate to some of what I'm saying. But they ended up at this place. They couldn't even handle anything else. They ended up at this camp, this self-contained camp area out in the middle of nowhere, the mountains of, of, Cal of San Diego. And they, this was their last resort. This was the last stop before prison. Before A lot of them came out of juvenile, juvie hall, juvenile hall, and this was the last stop before prison. I'm guessing most of them probably ended up in prison. And... Uh, it was, it was, not only I was in California, I was in the, the underbelly of California. It was like the worst, I was experiencing the worst part of it. And I helped run, one of the things I did is I helped run a group home. I was a group home parent. <laughs> and, and I was myself and then another guy ended up helping me later on. And our job was to get the kids off to, to camp school. And I'll never forget the first day, they said, okay, what's for breakfast? And I looked in the fridge and there was hot dogs. I said, here, uh, here's sausages. You know, they look like hot dogs. I go, they're sausages. You know, so I cooked them sausage hot dogs for breakfast. They got home at night, and I cooked them hot dogs. They said, this looks like the sausage. You know, they're hot dogs now, right? You know, so this is how I, I didn't know anything about parenting. You know, I'd get these kids out. And, uh, and in between, I worked at the camp all day, the camp, the ministry, whatever it was. And it was a zoo. It was a zoo. My job at first was because I was in sports and all that. They used me as an activities guy. I would take the kids hiking, and I'd take them to the beach, and i just try to wear them out. That was my job. Wear these kids out. Wear these kids out. And I remember taking them hiking, and it was like herding jackrabbits. You know, it was crazy. And I, I remember it was one kid. I had this big rock with a big slit in the middle, and he got stuck in it. We're out in the middle of nowhere. He stuck. His head was stuck in the rock. You know, and I got him out, but his head, his face was all cut up. You know, and I was, you know, and then we, they always were trying to catch snakes. Remember my rattlesnake story? This was here, the one where they they talked me into catching that five foot rattlesnake who almost caught us. That was that. We we almost got killed. But they would bring these little baby rattlesnakes back home where we live, and they, they say, hey, look, my baby rail's like, get it away from me. No, it's nice. Look at him. Look at him. He's biting his fingers. Look at him gnawing on his finger. So they can't hurt anybody. I go, they're going to grow, you know. And, and later on, they, a couple days later, did you find my snake? I lost it in the house somewhere. They lose these snakes in the house everywhere, you know. And I'd be like, it was crazy, right? And so I would take these kids out hiking and, and doing all these activities and uh, another job I was given, when they realized I was a farm boy and I was used to wrestling cows, they figured that out, and I was strong at the time, I was doing really in athletics and everything, is they had a, a timeout room. They realized I could wrestle. They started using me in the timeout room. It was a padded room. These kids were so out of control that probably all of them during the day ended up in this room. They would lose it. And they had this therapy, I can't remember what it was called now, but basically they were... It was to a reality therapy. They'd bring them into this room. They're out of control. And you had to put them in these restraining holds, which I still remember. You know, you hold and you hold them there. And you'd wrap them up and hold them down on the ground until they used up all their energy. And then you would start to talk to them. And you'd start to bring them back to reality because they really didn't have a grasp of reality at this point. And you'd say, listen, I know the, that other kid bumped into you. 
but it was probably an accident. He probably didn't see you. So you didn't have to pick up a rock and hit him in the head with it, you know? This, I'm serious. This is what they would do. You didn't have to hit him in the head with a rock. You could have just said, excuse me. And that's what you could do. And you would talk them down, and they'd calm down, and you'd breathe. And, you know, and, and after they calmed down, you'd put them back out into the zoo. And, uh, and that was my job uh, of doing this. Um, I still have scars to this day from my reality therapy with these kids because they were out of control. I had bite marks all over my arms. I had a nice California tan except I had one circle where the kid bit me on the stomach, would not let go until he left a big scar on my stomach. It was crazy. It was just, it was beyond crazy what, what I was doing with these kids. And some days it got so out of control I'd have more than one. They were only supposed to be one at a time, but it was so crazy. The workers would just come and open the door and throw them in. And one day I had a kid, I had them all wrapped up, I was trying to calm them down. And these are kids who, who after they're calmed down, they're friends with you. I'm going to take them on hikes and we have a good time and just don't upset them, right? And uh, I remember they threw two more kids in. One, one came in, then the door opened, another one came in. Now I have three kids in here and they're out of control. And there's a chair sitting there where usually you sit and you talk to the kids. Well, I'm wrapped up, they look down, two of them see me on the ground holding this kid who's out of control. And they get the idea. Let's kill this guy. And they picked up the chair, and they started coming. They're going to they're kill me with this chair, right? I had one chance. I remember I stood up with their buddy. He was a buddy of theirs. I held him up as a human shield, and I charged into them and, and knocked them off flat. And I put scissors on the one kid. I grabbed the other two kids by the head. And, and these weren't holds that they taught us at the camp. <laughs> I'm, I'm glad there was no video camera, but they worked on cows on the farm. I knew it would work, and I had them in chokeholds, and these guys were passing out, and they calmed down, and once they all calmed down, we had a nice talk, and they were like, that wasn't fair using our friend as a shield. That's not fair. You know, that's not right. We would have had you for sure, you know? And I go, yeah, next time I'll just let you beat my brains out with a chair. Sorry I used an illegal move, you know? So this is what it was like with these guys, and it was crazy. At night, the group home, I'd go back, and the kids would sneak out. I don't think I slept for three months. They would sneak out, sneak out, sneak out, steal things. Uh, policemen are always coming over. They would go out and sell themselves because they want drugs. They'd sell their bodies for the drugs. They would abuse the other kids and, that were the weaker kids. That, they victimized kids constantly. It was, it was a nightmare. And these kids were so damaged that they looked for any escape from the pain that they were in. Anything. I had to hide things that you would think you didn't have to hide. You had to hide everything because they huffed and smoked and snorted anything they could find. It was crazy. I remember the one kid, it was paint. He would sneak off the camp and find paint, and we'd find him up in the hills, and there'd be a rag stuffed in his mouth where he'd dip it in the paint and stick it in his mouth, and he'd just breathe the fumes. It was called huffing paint. And it would kill his brain cells. He walked around like a zombie. Then we'd have to call the ambulance. They'd rush him to the hospital, try to save him. That, this is what these kids did constantly. I mean, I, spices. I couldn't cook with any spices because they snorted them all, you know? Everything. It was crazy. And I just remember after a couple of months of this, uh, I, I remember also trying to take kids to church. I said, I'm going to take these kids to church. That'll change them. I'll take them to church. And uh, they seemed happy to go. I was surprised. They were like, yeah, we'll go, we'll go. We've never been to church before. They get to church, and they're all smiles. I'm like, this is really working, you know? That's all they needed is some church. And we get into church, and, and the people were so unfriendly to my boys. I couldn't understand it. My boys were smiling. I'd look over, and they were smiling at someone, and there'd be this, you know, older lady would be scowling at them. 
And I'm like, why are everybody unfriendly to my boys? I'm bringing them to church. And, and I kept watching, and all of a sudden I noticed my kid, one of the kids doing this with his collar, like this. And that's when the, they were scowling. All the people started to scowl. And I slipped over and I looked, and they had these little snakes called rosy boas. Do you remember the rosy boas, Laura? They're little boa constrictors, but they're red. They call them rosy boas. They, don't, they only grow about this big. They're all over the place up in the hills there. And they put them all around their necks under their collars. And whenever, the, whenever somebody would look over to smile, they would show them the snake, and then they'd cover up their neck. And that's why everybody was upset. So I had to take them all out, get rid of the snakes, inspect them from then on. It, it was just everything that could go wrong was done. And after two months, I was completely done. I was exhausted. I was drained. I was just done. Done. I was completely broken. Completely broken. And I remember it hit me that that was when God was really working me over and stripping it all the way and all the things that I thought were so important, the, the sports and my friends weren't there. It didn't, meant nothing to me at this point. They weren't there for me. They couldn't be. My, even my family couldn't be there for me. It was, it was just me and God. And I remember just getting closer to God than I'd ever been before. Really getting close to this painful, painful time. Because that's what we do with pain, right? We can either get closer to God or pull away from God. That's the choice we have. We can get bitter or better spiritually through the pain that we experience. And so many, it breaks my heart, so many people pull away from God or turn on God when they're going through the pain that's caused by our sin, our mankind's sin, right? What we've done, our rebellion. But, but I, did, I, I got close to God, closer to God, and, and I saw what the world really was. This world that, in my mind, was Appleton, New York, Mayberry, everything was good. I, I saw what the world really was. It was evil. The world is evil without Jesus Christ. It's evil, and, and it's lost. And, and I saw the lies and the deception. I saw what the world does to children, what it does to people. I, I saw it for the first time, really, the glasses were off and, and the gloves were off, and I saw it. And God drove home to me the fact that only Jesus Christ can change a heart. That's what was driven home to me, that only Christ can change a heart. And that's when I really surrendered to my call. I said, okay, God. I'm going to go back, and I'm going to go into ministry, and I'm going to follow you. And I started to really share with the kids Jesus Christ. I started to really witness to them and share with them. And, and it saw dramatic results. The kids started accepting Christ, and, and they started coming to church without snakes around their necks. And they, they started to really get it. And I, don't, I lost touch with all of them after I left. It was before we had cell phones and Internet. But, but I, I don't know where they all ended up, but there was a number of them that accepted Christ, and I'm hoping that today they're still following Christ. But I, I, I left... Barely made it out of that place. I tell you, I was, it, was, it got so crazy. Uh, I remember the, the, kind of the last straw was one of the kids, a couple of the kids, two of them escaped the camp. They broke into somebody's house and they got their rifles. They stole the guns out of the house, high-powered rifles. And they were going out around. And the police, I remember the helicopters were swoop, whooping in trying to find them. It was, it, was, it was real. And these kids are shooting. These 8th graders, are, eight, 13, 14-year-olds are shooting at the helicopters with these guns that they stole. And I remember going to the court. They sent me to take one of the kids to the court system, one of, one of them. And the judge just laid into me. 
you better get that place together or we're going to close it down. He goes, I know you just worked there, but you take back this message. The judge roasted me, you know. I was just like, <gasps> you know, I've already had enough, right? I got a judge in my face. And, and, and sure enough, after I left, a week later, they actually closed the place down. The government shut it down. It was so out of, so out of control. It was, it was beyond comprehension what it was like. And I go back home to Appleton, New York. And I get back and I... The youth group was going on a retreat, so I said, I'll come along to the retreat. I was still connected with the retreats. I'd never gone to youth group still. And I got to the uh, retreat, and the youth, my youth pastor, Steve, who actually visited here a while back, you remember him? He was a youth pastor, and he said, he could tell God was working in my life. He said, I, I want you to share what happened in California. Now, they had never asked me to speak before. I was the last person you would ask to speak in a youth group. You know, I was one of those, you know, it was, it was a straight-laced church, King James Bible, everybody wore suits and ties, you know, and here I was, you know. And, um, and they were just, I didn't fit the mold. But he asked me to, to, to share. And I remember sharing with the youth group, started to talk to them and started to tell them my story. And as I started to share the story, I started to cry. Now, you guys see me cry all the time. I'm like the crybaby pastor, right? But at this time, I never cried. I hadn't cried since I was a kid. Probably since I was eight years old going up front to accept Christ. I hadn't cried in years. I don't know why. I just never cried. You probably find it hard to believe, but I didn't. I was like Mr. Spock on Star Trek. Irrational, you know? Why are, they, why, are these, why are these people crying? It didn't make any sense to me why people cried. It was like ridiculous. I hadn't cried in years. I thought I, I, thought I would never cry again. I'm up and I start to cry that God was melting the icy heart and, and uh, I started to cry as I told the story about what God had worked in my life in California and what he was doing and as I'm crying everybody else started crying the whole youth group and I get done it was like a revival. It was crazy. Our youth group, church never experienced anything like it before. They just all were like confessing things and opening up and people were accepting Christ. And it was just, it was, I went out all night. I just remember how tired it was, but everybody was still talking and praying and it was crazy. And we, we brought that back from the retreat. And it was crazy what happened at, at our youth group, this little youth group. I remember there was like 15 kids in it at one point and by the end of the summer we had over 100 coming every every week and kids from everywhere accepting Christ I still hear from them hey I, I saw you on you know I saw your sister on Facebook I'm a Christian now I'm still a Christian I'm a youth pastor I'm this I'm that it was crazy the fruit that we saw it was amazing a couple other college buddies of mine we led the youth group that year and Pastor Steve just turned us loose he was like he was like the maturity, and we were just like turned us loose, and it was crazy what happened. And from there, I uh, I was said, "Okay, I'll go into youth ministry," and I did that for uh, for ten years. I went from there to PCB, which is, then became PBU, which is now Karen University, uh, Philadelphia Biblical University, Karen University now, and I. Became a youth pastor over in Washington Crossing, and and I was a youth pastor there, and that's where I met Kim, and that's where I got connected with Kim and this area, 
And from there, I went to, uh, after doing youth ministry there for a little bit, I went over to Trinity Evangelical Divinity School, and I was youth pastor in, ch in the church out that area for three years. And from there, we went to Connecticut, where I was a youth pastor again, and then I planted a church. We were in Connecticut for eight years, church planting, youth pastoring. And then I felt led to do a renewal ministry, a revival ministry, and, and because Kim's folks lived here and we had connections back here, we moved back here to Plumstead. And that's where I, for three years, I just traveled and spoke in lots of different churches. But through this time, we saw the need for a church in New Hope. And because we were local and we saw this tremendous need for a church in New Hope, God started pulling, pulling, pulling to start a church here in New Hope. You all know what New Hope is like. You know, there aren't many churches, <laughs> any, many uh, churches here that, you know, preach the gospel. And so we ended up here and, and sensed that call. And the verse that really hit me back when I first surrendered was Romans 1.16. If you're using the New Bible, it's page 937. 937. But in Romans 1.16 and 17, this kind of became my new verse, my new life verse, based on my journey. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. For in the gospel, a righteousness from God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. And that, not being ashamed anymore, and, and realizing, seeing for myself the emptiness of the world, the evil of the world, the deception of the world versus the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ and what God, it took him to, for God to get that into my thick head and heart. And, and the power of the gospel to save us through faith. We're saved through faith. Look at that verse. And we live through faith. We're saved by putting our faith in Jesus Christ and we live through that faith. Romans 1, 16 and 17. Maybe you're here today. And you're fighting God. And maybe the Holy Spirit is calling you to surrender. Maybe you're not a Christian yet. You've never put your faith in Jesus Christ. That's the first step is, is, is putting our faith in Jesus Christ. Where we say, God, I believe Jesus died on the cross to pay for my sin. He took my punishment. He paid for my evil. I, I ask you to forgive me through what Jesus did, taking my punishment. I ask for forgiveness, and I put my faith in him. I give my life to Jesus Christ. Maybe that's the surrender for you this morning. Maybe you're already Christian, but like me, you're like that fish on the line, and you're fighting God somehow. Maybe it's a call on your life. Maybe he's leading you to do something. Maybe there's something he wants you to give up in your life, something that's sin, that's blocking you from growing spiritually. Maybe it's whatever it is. The Holy Spirit speaks to each one of us. And I think we all can think of something, right? Maybe there's something in our life we need to surrender. And this is, Maybe it's baptism. We're doing the baptism on August 11th. And I know it's, it's a little scary going in the river in front of everybody and, and sharing something about what God's done. Although you can just answer yes or no. Maybe it's baptism. It's awesome. If you've never been baptized as a believer... 
not talking about the baby thing. That's a whole different thing. I'm talking about as a believer. If you've never been baptized, it's, it's awesome. There's, I can't describe it. Those who have been baptized know what I'm talking about. There's nothing. Just the Holy Spirit just does something amazing through baptism. Communion is a great time for us to refocus this morning. To refocus, to reconnect, to remember. The bread remembers the body that Jesus gave on that cross. The, the cup rem- reminds us of the blood that Jesus shed for us on that cross. That, that blood that paid for our sin. Paid for our forgiveness. Paid for our new life that we can have in Jesus Christ. If you've never put your faith in Christ and you're not ready to do that, then just during this time, we're just going to have some music playing and, and people come up, take it back to their seat whenever they're ready. It's just between you and God. But if you're not ready to put your faith in Christ, wait, right? But I hope you do. Or if there's something we're not willing to surrender, wait for next time. If there's something to say, God, you can't have it. You can't have me. You can't have this part of me. You can't have this sin. You can't have it. Wait, but I hope that you won't go back like that today. But it's between you and God. Let's pray. How is God speaking to us? What is he talking to our heart about today? Maybe you're here today and you're not a Christian yet. You feel God calling you. You've been seeking for God. But something's been holding you back. It's not God holding you back. (laughs) Do it today. You can put your faith in Jesus Christ right now. You don't have to live this life alone. You don't have to face the pain alone. You don't have to face the trials and struggles alone. They're all going to still be there if you're a Christian, but you don't have to face them alone. We have God's grace. We have his spirit inside of us. And he brings meaning out of every struggle that we have he brings something beautiful out of our life even the mistakes that we make he brings something beautiful but it starts with faith right where you're sitting just say god i put my faith in your son jesus christ faith to forgive me for everything i've ever done wrong or ever will do wrong i pray for forgiveness I put my faith in your son, Jesus. I give my life to him. I surrender. If you've just taken that step of faith, something amazing, radical, powerful has happened inside of you. You're going to experience it. You'll never be the same again. You're now a child of God. You can talk to him anytime. Let somebody know. If you have a friend here or a family member, let somebody know. Let me know. Tell me somehow. Fill out the card. Tell me. Email me. Text me. Something. So that we can encourage you in your new faith and be excited for you in your new faith. And now you can commune with God. Not just this morning communion, but every day we can commune with God. We can talk to him anytime. For the rest of us, how is God speaking to us? What is he calling us to surrender? Father, as we go to this communion time, I pray that we would do business with you, that your spirit would speak to us.
that it would be heavy on our heart what you're trying to accomplish in and through us. Pray that in Jesus' name.